Welcome to the April episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Seth O'Brien, Clinical Manager and Residency Director at Artificial Limb Specialists and Chair of the Academy's Scientific Societies Committee. Today, we're broadcasting live from the 2023 Academy Annual Meeting and Scientific Symposium in Nashville. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, John Reinstein. John has been caring for patients in New York City for 30 years with a focus on helping people with limb loss reach their goals. He is a fellow with distinction of the Academy and chairs the Lower Limb Prosthetic Society. His clinical practice is focused on complex lower and upper limb patients and post-operative care. John is most proud of the 24 prosthetic residents he has mentored. John, it's great to welcome you to the show today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Seth. Good to be here. Absolutely. We have started out together. Actually, my involvement with the Academy started, for the most part, with you in the Lower Limb Prosthetic Society. I think that was, I was trying to remember the other day, I think it was about seven years ago. And so I've been able to work with you for the last seven years and about five or six of those on the Lower Limb Prosthetic Society. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure to work together. And I know that we've accomplished quite a bit in terms of educational material that we put out there and uh, excited for things to come. Absolutely. You know, it's great to have somebody like you to talk to because, you know, we were just talking and you have been sort of this staple in New York City for a long time, what, 30 years, right? So how do you end up just being the rock in one area? And for how many years have you been with Hanger now? Uh, Well, I've been with Hanger about 25 years. What's the secret to that longevity in a position like that? Really, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in New York. My father, my grandfather grew up in New York. I raised my kids in New York. So, you know, I don't think I was really going anywhere. And, you know, I built a base of patients and referral sources. And these residents have really just motivated me. And a lot of them have stayed around and are part of our team now. So it's been great. I, I can walk six blocks to my parents' house from my office. So it's my hometown. How, how does, I think about some of the running around that I have to do, and how does that translate in New York City? It's got to be insane. Well, it's funny because the hospitals by miles look like they're very close together, but by time, because of traffic and everything, it's probably the same amount of running around that you have to do. But we have a lot of great teaching hospitals in the area, so the opportunities have been really limitless for me. I, I imagine a, a John Reinstein riding the bike down the street with a messenger bag with legs and arms sticking out of it as you go to the hospital now? Yeah, well, actually, since COVID, I've been riding city bike back and forth to work. So you're no, not, nice. too far from the, uh, <laughs> not too far from the truth there. We've talked a bit about your involvement in the academy, but what about your role in your clinical position there? You've obviously had a lot of uh, residents, so residency director. What other ways are you involved beyond just the patient care day to day? Well, I do uh, education and program development for Hangar on a national level. So I do the uh, Hangar Live we have every year, and uh, I help put together those programs on the prosthetic side. And I'm the uh, clinical lead for the post-op care program. So there's a lot of different things. I have my hand in a lot of different things. It's primarily, uh, I have a short attention span, so it keeps me very busy. You know, I love doing the work on the societies. So, uh, you know, we have those calls and hopefully we can get into talking about future plans for uh, the Lower Limb Society as well. You bet. And maybe before we get there, 
I can't imagine that you've had 24 residents without a little bit of poking and jabbing coming back at you. How, how does that play out over the years? Well, it's actually, it's, it's really nice. It's like, a, it is like a family and I have, you know, residents who've now trained residents and those residents have trained residents. So I have like great grand residents. Yeah. <laughs> but over the years, the residents kind of have collected some of my serious and sometimes funny different sayings. I guess they've heard me say or, you know, things they picked up. And so I, I've collected a list of them and I thought it'd be kind of fun just for us to go through some of them. Absolutely. The rules of prosthetics as told by John. Well, you know, and some of these I picked up from other people, so I can't claim complete credit, but you know, I, I'd like to think I'm the editor of the rules, not so much the creator of the rules, but you know, a lot of them relate to patient care and setting expectations for patients. So, you know, number seven is fit the head. And number 23 is it's not about prosthetics, meaning that, you know, a patient might come in and say that they have a socket problem, but then they wind up just wanting to talk for half an hour. So I think, you know, maybe that relates to the one I'm more likable than good. <laughs> uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, outcomes equals performance minus expectation. And we always try to perform to the highest level that we can, but we need to spend the time with patients and set their expectations and, you know, there's a lot on social media. There's a lot in the regular TV media and things where you see patients running and doing great things. And the manufacturers are advertising all kinds of great feats that people can perform. But at the end of the day, you know, your 80-year-old dysvascular patient who comes in, if they have that expectation in their mind, they're going to be sorely disappointed. So, yeah. Um, I, and along, you know, I, I love the fit the head. And I think it, it really could go two ways because I think that you mentioned outcomes in that same circle, right? And the time spent fitting the head or even just the time spent listening will give this like, I don't want to say artificial, but this boost to the outcomes, right? The, the same measured outcome can be perceived so much higher when the patient's happy and they feel like they've been listened to and they feel like you're actually taking into consideration all of the things that they're worried about or just spending a little extra time to hear them, you know, as opposed to them feeling like they came in and out and getting rushed or just not quite what it, they envisioned it to be, right? Well, we have the luxury in some ways. I mean, in medicine today, I think a primary care doctor gets 11 minutes with the patient. We have the luxury, you know, I book a one-hour appointment. So if it takes me a little extra time to do something, I have a little bit of time to spend with the patient, get to know them. I mean, some of these patients I've been taking care of for a long, long time. And uh, I even have one lady who... Um, tries to slip a $20 bill into my pocket every time that I, you know, she's just, uh, she, you know, we love each other. So it's, uh, it really is like a nice family from the standpoint of the patients and from the standpoint of the uh, residents. I can't so, even get my mom to give me a $20 bill well, on my birthday. That's a, there, there you go. Well, you can uh, always have a job in New York, Seth. Yeah. Good. But anyway, uh, one of the other ones there on the list here is only God makes the perfect leg or the perfect hand. And that's another expectation setting thing because, you know, people come in and they get a prosthetic arm. And the first thing I tell them is that it's a tool. It's not a hand. And I use that term all the time. And I, I think most people can really relate to that. And circles right back to expectations. Exactly. Exactly. So that some of these rules overlap a little bit. I also say you can have anything you want in prosthetics. You just can't have everything you want. And that's obviously in life as well. But the point being, you know, tell me what's important to you and we'll get that done for sure. But don't ask me to do everything at once. You know, of course, they want to be comfortable and they want it to function. 
I don't care about how it looks until it's comfortable and it functions well, and then yep. they care about how it looks. <laughs> and a lot of these themes, I think, really will resonate with O&P professionals because we all go through the same thing, right? Yeah. It's a very common and shared experience. So some of the things on the list here, I would say, are more practical. For example, one of the things I always tell the residents is when we're evaluating a prosthesis, always go in the order of socket fit first, then check the height, and then check the alignment. Because we know these are interrelated variables, but if you don't have a good socket fit, let's say they're too deep in the socket, then the prosthesis is going to appear short, mm -hmm. and then you're chasing your tail around. So I found if you go in that order, socket fit, height, alignment, you have less chance of chasing your tail. Another one along those lines is always remember the line of progression. Now, this relates somewhat to the way we communicate with the lab when we're sending work out. But if you look at a, a sagittal alignment line or a coronal alignment line and the socket is rotated out of the line of progression, it actually moves the weight line to a different point. So it's critical for me to see it when I'm telling the lab what to do and then for the guys at the lab to place the connector correctly, the limb has to be in the line of progression before they drop those laser lines to place the connector. Right. And, you know, some of these things I repeat over and over again because you have to drum it into people. It's, it's easy to want to jump and say, okay, I got the answer. But you really have to take a step back and see what's going on. And my maybe lifetime career goal is to develop a artificial intelligence or maybe an algorithm that takes everything that I've learned over 30 years and dumps it into somewhere that other people could access it. And certainly that's not only my own knowledge, it would be your knowledge and, and the fantastic folks that I've had the opportunity to work with over the years, because everybody brings a little something to the pie. So do you find when you're approaching clinical care, do you find yourself to be a very methodical person? Do you, do you run through the same sort of checklist in your head or do you take a, a more open focus view and then narrow in on what it is that's jumping out to you? Well, I think it's one of the problems of being experienced is that you tend to jump. You know, if you have a beginner's mind, everything is open. So I, I do think I jump, but I try to be methodical. Uh, years ago, I published a checklist for transtibial and transfemoral delivery. So there's like 45 or 48 items on this list. And I give it to the residents and I say, if you've covered every item on this list, you're giving the patient a good prosthesis. But there's a lot of interpretation in there as to what's good and what's correct. So, you know, you, you still have to know what you're doing. But if you can run through this list, um, so I'd say in that regard, I try to be methodical. I okay. try to be. Yeah. There's one on here that makes me really laugh. And I'm assuming this one that is, is going to be for the last one. But are there any others that you haven't spoke to yet that you want to? Well, I always say um, resist the temptation to be lazy because I think we all want to at times take shortcuts or we want to, you know, it's, it's six o'clock and we want to go home. But sometimes you just have to spend the extra time doing it. And, and that also relates to uh, number 30, which is don't be afraid to throw your work in the garbage Yeah, um, because... Sometimes it's just best to start over. If you want to do the right thing, um, actually, that's another rule. Always try to do the right thing. And number 29, take care of your patients and everything else will be okay. You know, that relates to don't take a shortcut. And if you make a mistake early in the process, that mistake is going to carry all the way through to the end, right? If you see a mistake, correct the mistake as quickly as you can. 
again, you know, I'll say this to a resident and they'll say, sure, sure. But it doesn't guarantee that it's going to get done. Uh, right. Some of these I picked up, you know, from when I was a student at Northwestern. There was a, a an old German instructor, uh, Gunther Gale, there who a student asked him, uh, how do you know it's cow leather? And he said, because it smells like cow dung. <laughs> so, you know, some of them are silly. Number 16, prosthetics is a process, not a product. I think that's philosophically a good way to look at things because you're not giving someone a leg. You're really giving them mobility. Yeah. You know, if you think of it that way, you're not just putting a device on. And, and that elevates us as a profession to, in the eyes of our, our referral community and, and our colleagues, to say, I'm about gait restoration and grasp restoration. Mm -hmm. I'm not about making a device or selling a device. Yeah. And, and so I think that's a pretty good philosophical approach. I love this list, by the way. So, so peel back the curtain a little bit. You have 46 items on your rules of prosthetics, which is amazing. Um, we're highlighting a few of them today, but tell me about number 12. There are four legs to the chair. What does that mean? Well, that means that in the, I, and this is something I teach to the residents right away. In your practice of prosthetics, you have four kind of areas that you need to focus on. One is what you do in the room with the patient. Second is what you do in the lab with modification or CAD or whatever. The third is your paperwork with insurance, justifying what you're doing and getting the authorizations. And the fourth is marketing. You know, you have sure. to have new referrals coming into the business to keep it healthy. Right. So you can concentrate on any one of those four things and you have to at a time. But if you ignore one of them, the chair is going to fall over eventually. So I like that. I like that. That comes in and then. I guess if we're going to wrap up on the list, the last one, number 34, is uh, call Kevin Carroll. <laughs> and, and that's because when I've run out of ideas, that's who I call. So I, I have a feeling my list, that would be number 4, 7, 12, 13, 24, 26, okay. 32, 47. <laughs> you know, that, that could be a repeat one. Yeah. That's great. So you mentioned a little bit about some of the areas that, you know, you've, you've kind of championed, I think, over the years. One of those being post-op. What have you been doing in New York and with Hangar to, to really kind of drive this forward? I, I know that there's been a lot of effort going into publications over the years. A great resource in Academy Today that was a few years ago on post-op care that really kind of, I think, brought some of the most recent best practices maybe to light, but but tell me a little bit about why has post-op become such a topic of interest for you? Well, I think it's allowed us to get more involved with the entire care team early on. The research shows that patients who have early care do better, so it only makes sense. I can't tell you how many patients who've come into the office who have fallen and not had of a protective device on, so you know, it makes perfect sense to protect the limb. And really what it boiled down for me is getting better surgeries for the patient. So when I was involved in the post-op care, I got closer and closer to the amputation itself. And then it gave me the opportunity to educate surgeons as to what are some optimal practices that you can do to reconstruct the limb instead of just cutting it off. Mm -hmm. And I'll be working as long as I'm working in this profession, I'll be working on that because we don't see a huge improvement in amputation quality. But 
at the end of the day, there's just a few things that surgeons could do to, to really make a big difference in the patient outcome. And I always say, you know, a little extra work for the surgeon will probably save us 10 hours and it'll save the patient 100 hours of pain or discomfort or misery or even a lifetime of it. You know, things like when they're doing the closure of a transtibial limb, the limb should be in full extension. If they bend the knee so that the suture line is at eye level, then the knee is in flexion. And then when they do that closure, there's a predisposition to a flexion contracture. So really, for me, post-op was a way to get closer to the surgery and the surgeon. And I think we should repeat some of those issues that the Academy Today issues that we've done, because these issues have not gone away. We need to reach more surgeons and get better surgeries, and it really will make a difference for patients. So that's what I'm doing on that front. You know, I hope to keep pushing it forward and get better post-op care for patients. And part of that, by the way, involves patient education and peer visitation. So it's not just, again, not just a device, it's a total care package for the patient. Right. How about partial foot? So I know here at the 2023 annual meeting, another topic that I think that you've been a champion for is partial foot amputation of prosthetic management. Had a session earlier today on that, right? Kind of spearheaded by you. What about partial feet and partial foot care has really spoken to you? Or, or is, it an, is it a need thing? Is it a need-based thing? I, I think it's a need-based thing. It also... The person that got me into prosthetics in the first place was Dr. Lou Schoen, who's a foot and ankle surgeon. Uh, he's a friend and a mentor. So I really kind of came up in the foot and ankle world and got to see patients who really weren't doing well. And I think it's probably 15 or 20 years ago, I participated in one of the Academy's state of the science conferences on partial foot. So that became the jumping off point. And Interestingly enough, you know, we're still talking about the same principles that were revealed in that conference, which is that the, we need to come above the ankle to really control the foot so that the patient doesn't get a breakdown. Right. And so I think that's where it came from. I was fortunate enough today and really was, came full circle in that Dr. Schoen's son, Jason Schoen, who's now a doctor himself, he's a PM&R resident at Spalding up in Boston was one of our speakers. Oh, wow. So it was really, a, it was a great moment for me and I think the audience responded very positively. You know, you can't just do what you've always done. Mm -hmm. You gotta really think it through and see what the latest technology is and, and how you can apply it on a case-by-case -case basis. But just putting a patient in a shoe with a, with a toe filler you know, we're really doing a disservice to the patient. Do you think a lot of that is, is maybe most important kind of education for us in the OMP community in terms of treatment plans? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so within, yeah. that's what we were trying, within. Right? Yeah, that's what we were trying to do today. And, you know, these patients can do better. And in some regard, it's up to us to make those suggestions and to do as much as we can. So Chris Tolley gave us some great information about different technologies that can be used. And we have to move forward, you know, as a, as a profession. We have to say we can do better, and we have to do things differently. There was a really interesting tool. So the, uh, the Academy Today in the summer of 2022, the Lower Limb Prosthetic Society um, sponsored and, and put out content for that issue. And there was, again, some partial foot surgical technique information and, and publication in there. 
another piece about the patient management of the partial foot amputation. And then really a new tool kind of in the mix at that time, I think, was the amputation decision aid. So there's a website for that, which is amputationdecisionaid.com. Kind of the first of its kind, I think, wasn't it? Well, for for OMP, I think, you know, has uh, a Steph Fatoni, as she spoke today, with her collaborator, Mick Dillon. It speaks to the shared decision model, where the patient gets full information, the clinician gives input, and then you come to a decision that everybody's comfortable with. Now, you don't always have this luxury, but it really is a step forward, not only for a patient to decide whether to have a partial foot or to have a transtibial amputation, but the whole model of a shared decision-making. And it really goes back to one of the principles that we spoke about earlier, which is you know spending time with the patient mm-hmm. and outlining their options. And you know at the end of the day, I'm sure you would agree, if you're involved in a decision, you're more committed to it. You're gonna, you're gonna see it through. So if the patient makes the decision themselves, at least they have no regret that somebody else made the decision for them. Yeah. I think it's, it's a huge groundbreaking way of looking at what we're doing. And I hope we have many other decision aids. And, and it kind of goes back to the, the big algorithm. You know, the more information you have, you can put it in there and hopefully come up with some good decisions. With kind of a look ahead, there's so many directions that we could go with the Lower Limb Prosthetic Society in particular, and, and those who are interested in lower limb prosthetics or, or consider themselves you know, specialists maybe in, in that regard. What do you think are some of the, the main areas of focus in lower limb prosthetics in the future? What's on the horizon? Well, there's so many different opportunities for people to get involved in the society, and I would really encourage anybody listening to this podcast to reach out to either you or to me even if you spend 15 minutes a week on this, whatever the projects are, whatever interests you, it's such a huge yield, not only to the profession, but to as an individual. I mean, it's the work that I've been doing with the societies and you've been doing. You know, it's so gratifying to be able to give something back. So on the horizon for this year, we're talking about a journal club where we could maybe look at some of the JPO articles and break them down and um, see what the clinical relevance is for each person. One of our big projects is to fund some research. And actually, the presentation we had this morning uh, with the new combined uh, research... um, Code, the foundation. The foundation, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, I was talking to Don and Shane after the presentation. I said, hey, well, you know, uh, we're we're ready to fund some research. So we're going to do some... We're going to hopefully find a focused project along those lines. But, you know, the challenge has been folks really wanting to get involved. I mean, I know you and I have reached out to people. And if you have an hour a month, it's going to be really great for you and great for the profession. So we're going to try to do more monthly meetings to get people more involved, uh, webinars. We have the, another academy today coming up. So if anybody has ideas or they want to be an author, that would be great. And Personally, I think that we should do more outreach to the vascular surgery community as far as the physicians and proselytize about improving amputation care. Sure. So if anyone wanted to go to a vascular meeting, you know, we might be able to fund that. I, I think there are a lot of opportunities and we're open to additional ideas. So please reach out. We have a spotlight coming up also. And so I think there's plenty of opportunity for people to get involved. I assure you it will be very, very rewarding for you if you can get involved. Absolutely. I would I would second that for sure. And, you know, we didn't even mention anything about, you know, some of the challenges with coding or reimbursement or, you know, advocacy in terms of 
with payers or, or any of those avenues that are, of course, you know, kind of on the forefront of everybody's mind. And, and a lot of those start with efforts from the academy, the societies, you know, that the people who it affects that small group coming together to get the evidence or educate the payer or educate the physician. So a lot of great opportunities there. Absolutely. Yeah, and don't think that someone else is going to do it for you because, you know, we've seen what happens when payers decide to change coding scenarios. So if we have evidence to show them that, you know, no, this is the best way to do things, we can turn things, but we can't do it just by saying it. We have to have evidence. So that's where the academy is really, uh, you know, taking the lead. Yeah. Well, when they put together the algorithm for the John Reinstein Awesome robot, I will absolutely take two. We'll, we'll get those just running around the clinic, and I appreciate you very much coming. And uh, how long has it been that you've been the chair of the Lower Limb Prosthetic Society? Ten years? Too long, I think. It's time for some <laughs> new leadership, so I'm waiting for some phone calls. Well, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks, Seth. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of OMP Clinical Care Insiders. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with key voices in the OMP community, discussing their area of clinical care and sharing personal experiences as professionals in that specialty. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for OMP professionals, the award-winning OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and OMP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our field. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.